Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free and catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You are listening to Red Carpet Rendezvous with your host, Lauren Conlon. Hey guys, and welcome to Red Carpet Rendezvous. I'm your host, Lauren Conlin. Um, I hope everybody is hanging in there. Oh my gosh, 2020 has been a complete shit show. <laughs> um, hopefully you guys heard my bonus special episode with my friend Darissa White. She founded the Buy Black 30 Challenge. Um, so if you didn't listen, you should, because Darissa outlines ways that everybody can help the black community right now, because you know we all really need to stand in, in solidarity um, and recognize that black lives matter. So if you didn't listen to it, go back and listen now, or you can follow her um, on Instagram at TV or Buy Black 30 Challenge. So, okay, today's episode, I am just so, so excited um, to bring you guys Ken Davenport. He, I've been a huge fan of him for a long time, and he is a two-time Tony Award-winning Broadway producer, and he's the founder of the Producer's Perspective blog and podcast, which is fantastic if you're not familiar. Um, he's also been doing these great live interviews on Facebook recently, which are so much fun. Um, he got the Broadway 2012 revival cast of Godspell together for a reunion, the cast of Alter Boys, and he's just making quarantine life for the Broadway community and fans a whole lot better. So Ken's been a producer for a long time. He's produced shows like Kinky Boots, Once on This Island. Um, he won Tonys for both of those. Um, the Awesome 80s Prom, Getting the Band Back Together, and just so many more. So I just wanted to pick Ken's brain on the future of Broadway and his predictions regarding the future, when it's coming back, and and just so much more because he is so knowledgeable and he's he's just a great resource um, for everybody to have access to. And I just felt super lucky. So I hope you guys um, enjoy with, with our interview. Broadway. So in your wildest dreams, Ken, could you have ever imagined anything like this, a Broadway shutdown for six to nine months? No, I, you know, every, I actually blogged a year ago, almost a year ago that we were due for a correction because I've actually looked at the data and every, it's like every 3.67 years, we have a dip. We're just like the stock market or other things. There's like a natural correction. And it usually coincides with the presidential election, the Olympics, and the leap year. Like, I've just I figured it out. So we were, we were like going, I was like, oh, we're going to have this thing. But never in a million years would I imagine it be something like this. Right. In fact, we've, a lot of people talk about the business of Broadway and some of the, art, the older rules that we have or some of the things that are difficult to change. And and I've said, you know, most of this stuff won't ever change. The only way anything will change significantly is if we have another dark period on Broadway where there's 
the number of theaters that are not filled. Mm. And I actually said the way that the industry was going, I didn't think that would happen except for one reason, which is there was a terrorist activity in New York City. And that's the only thing that I thought could ever, I ever would have imagined could slow down the industry. Mm. And then, of course, here comes something that not only slowed it down, it stopped it entirely. Insane. I, I, I am with you. I never in a million years could have imagined this would slow down, obviously Broadway, but everything else in the entire world. I mean, yeah. I got here. I was one of those people that I didn't even bring jeans to New Hampshire. I'm like, we'll be back in a week. It's fine. They'll sort it out. I mean, I didn't, I just didn't believe it. So I'm guessing I, I thought about this and I, you know, if you, you never thought anything like this would happen. So you clearly didn't have any sort of backup plan in place. Not sure what a backup plan would look like, but you never, you never thought about this, right? You never kind of said, well, what if something happens? What would we do? No, you don't. Like this is, you just never, Broadway is one of those industries where the show must always go on, right? This is mm -hmm. all that we, we know. In fact, when Broadway shut down, I really do believe that it was the domino for so many other people around the world to realize this was serious because people start, if Broadway shut down, yeah. this is real, something is going on because all right. of a sudden people's reaction was, oh my gosh, how could, how could that happen? So yeah, you don't, you don't plan for something like this. However, I will say, and I've been uh, talking a little bit about this on social, like every company, every industry, every person, mm -hmm should have multiple ways to keep themselves going. Right. Multiple revenue streams, multiple, like all, if, like if you talk to the most successful people ever, they all have multiple revenue streams. They don't just rely on one thing. Correct. The theater, unfortunately, we have been relying on one thing and one thing only, and that one thing has been pulled from us. So, it's yeah. very difficult, obviously, these shows and, and everyone that works in the theater is in a very difficult spot. Right, right. And, and not that anything could come close to this, but in your experience and in your career, did you ever encounter a disastrous issue where you were just like, oh my gosh, we're never going to bounce back from this? And now looking back, <laughs> thinking, oh, you know what? We did bounce back and, and kind of look what's happening now. Yeah, you know, look, that's actually the, the thing that I try to do every day when I'm going like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Mm. I moved to New York City in 1991 when walking through Times Square was not a pleasant activity, right? Mm -hmm. It was not a good place to be. And now, of course, it's, well, right now it's deserted, but uh, <laughs> now it's filled with tourists and you can sit on the red steps and have lunch. I mean, it's a wonderful place to be and it will be again. Mm. Uh, so that was number one. We obviously came a lot, uh, lot further from that. And then the other, of course, was September 11th. Like people thought no one will ever come back to New York. People will flee. Um, there will be still will, there will be another one like all of these things. Hundred percent. <laughs> we came back from that, and what I keep saying is we came back faster than anyone anticipated we would come back from that. So while this is massively different, I just predicted last week that I think when we come back, we will also bounce back faster than people predict. I did. I saw that. I saw your email and I really appreciated your positivity um, when it comes to this stuff and Broadway. 
I, I keep thinking in my head though about ticket prices and I'm, I'm reading different things, different places and I'm seeing, okay, well, um, you know, we can't fill a theater anymore. So what does that mean to, to us that are buying the tickets? Are we going to have to spend like $5,000 on a ticket? Like there's all these things that I think people are wondering where, when it comes to Broadway, just because I don't think that, I mean, and this, again, it's my, my opinion and I don't, I don't know anything, but when things do open up, I don't think that we're going to be able to fill the theaters as, as fast as, as you know, we could before. Do you agree with that? You mean purely from selling tickets? Yeah. And just from a, a standpoint of, of, um, okay, well, social gatherings are accepted right now, but you know, we can't, we can't pack a theater. We've got to keep the limit to let's say 300 seats filled. I mean, is that for, for you as a producer and, and you know, you, you've got a lot going on. Is that even worth opening a theater or are you just, just going to bleed money? It's a great question. And you're going to see a blog from me this week, which is going to talk about why I believe social distancing doesn't work for the theater. So I do not believe you will see theaters open up, Broadway theaters or off-Broadway theaters saying, oh, we're only going to do it at 25% capacity. Yeah. We're not a restaurant. We're providing an experience for that audience. And that experience is much, much better when every, when every seat is full, when the, everyone's in there. When you've been to a show or a movie or something that isn't sold out, it just doesn't feel the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't believe we're going to come back until we can deliver an experience similar to what we had before. There'll be a lot of changes, of course, getting to that place. But I, I, I said that I believe we'll be out longer and therefore we'll come back stronger. You have to remember, right. we're a word of mouth industry. Word of mouth is what sells tickets, far and away by anything else that we do. Mm -hmm. Word of mouth is best when we have a full theater and tons of people sharing an unbelievable, exciting experience and then telling all their friends. So we'll be out longer, but we'll be stronger as a result. Okay, because I was, I was going to ask you, um, and, and that makes perfect sense. And, and to me, that, that sort of, my thinking is aligned with yours, but... Um, you know, first it was July and then it's September. And now do you, you probably don't have any inside information, but you probably think it's going to be longer than September. I'm guessing. Yeah. There was an article last week from the Broadway league, uh, the chairwoman who said that it would probably, she was optimistic about January. I think 2021. Oh my is, gosh. I did not. Are you kidding? I didn't even read that. She was optimistic I, about I'm going to cry. That's actually really heartbreaking. Uh, oh my gosh. But again, that's in it. That's wow. one of those things that I think, you know, everyone is really erring on this, not only the side of caution, but also we know how we want to come back and we don't want to come back when people are nervous or you imagine yourself being in a play and there's a quiet moment in a play and someone coughs. If you're not comfortable being there or there's still uncertainty, you're going to be pulled out of that experience. That's so, I think so, that, so true. That's yeah. so true. Oh my gosh. And that's, I was, yeah. I was in a theater on the 10th of March. Mm -hmm. So two days before Broadway shut down and I was in Cleveland, wasn't even in New York city. Mm -hmm. And when people were rustling about or a, like there were many people that were just like, what's happening? And you couldn't yeah. focus as much. 
So we'll want to wait until we can figure out the protocols to make everyone feel comfortable. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, no, that's, that's so, so true. You're so right about that. Someone coughs and everyone's going to be like, dude, get out. Or, you know what I mean? You can't even cough anymore without people thinking that. Yeah. That's actually what you just said is I believe what we will achieve very shortly. And by then is that we're going to experience this cultural shift. We're already seeing it, like seeing people with masks is not what it was even a week ago or two weeks ago. It's just more accepted now. I walk down the streets of New York City and the people that look odd are the people without masks. <laughs> like months from now, yes. it's, it's gonna be like it is in many other countries in the world. Right. The other thing that's gonna happen is it, coughing will be the new smoking. In that when you look at a smoker now and you're like, Gross. Yeah, exactly. Anyone that coughs Mm -hmm. in public will be a social pariah. Like, get home. Do not come to work while you're staying. I know. I thought about that the other day because um, outdoor restaurants are open here in New Hampshire, and my husband and I went to one, and I just had a tickle in my throat, but I sat there and turned purple, Ken. I was like, I will not cough. I will not be that person right now. So I was like, oh, can I have water? It was, it's crazy. But, um, so... My one of my babysitters that we use, she's an actress, and she's sending in self tapes for national tours. I'm kind of like, and, and I'm like, do you actually think that's going to happen? And she's like, honestly, I'm just doing it because my agents are telling me to. But she, you know, she's half heartedly doing it. She's like, I don't even think it's going to happen, so I don't really, I don't really know what's going on. So I was kind of curious about that. Like, why would national tours still be trying to cast things right now? Well, look, restaurants are open in Vermont. Right? Or New Hampshire. Yes, New Hampshire. Uh, Restaurants are open in New Hampshire. Restaurants are not open here. Restaurants will eventually open here. (laughs) The other countries, the other states around the country and the other countries around the world are at different stages and will open up differently. Tours should open up before Broadway because they're playing states that just have looser restrictions and they'll figure out the protocols faster. There's a production of South of Phantom of the Opera in South Korea that's been playing last several weeks. Oh. Like you'll see mega churches start to like in Texas, they'll open up, right? Probably yeah. social distancing first, but eventually, while we're still in the city here on lockdown. So I actually do expect towards regional theaters, community theaters to open up before Broadway, which right. helps us because we can actually learn. And the people that go to Broadway shows, 65% of them are tourists. Hopefully they'll come back. Yeah. They will have started to get used to the idea of gathering in their locations wherever they mm-hmm. live, right? Every time someone goes to a restaurant or a mall, they just start to get a little bit more comfortable. Right. So that when they do go to the theater, it's not the, it's not, when people go to a Broadway theater again, it will not be like jumping in the deep end. They will have waded into gathering by that point. So they'll be more. Right. I can imagine being an actor though on stage. I know you're not supposed to break the fourth wall, but looking at everybody in their mask, it's going to be so weird. They're going to be like, are we in a black mirror episode? Like what the hell is going on? Um, That's the other reason why we can't have social distancing work because we could, even if we could do it in the audience, we can't do it on stage. We can't do it in orchestra pits. We can't do it backstage. So we just have to Right, right. Um, and do you anticipate just, you know, like you said, you're not diving, you know, into the deep end right away, but when things open up, I'm just curious about just cost cutting um, in terms of, 
of the shows. I mean, I know that I was in shock when, when Frozen said, you know, like basically Disney can't afford to keep Frozen running. Um, Cause to me, I'm like, Disney, you have the most money. What's going on here? Like this is, what does this mean for everybody else? But do you anticipate just like actor salaries being cut and just production costs is going down in general when, when things reopen? Look, we're going to enter into a new economic reality mm-hmm. and things will be different, no question. And things will be slow to come back. So I do think producers like me, general managers, just like look, people in general, every human being right now on the planet is examining their budget differently than they did before. Right. And that is going to go up and down. The actor is going to do it personally. The producer is going to do it with his company or her company. Like it's, everyone's going to have to look at their finances for the new economic reality until it gets back to where it was before and beyond. So yeah, you'll see a lot of tightening of, of belts for sure. So going back to what you said about Broadway, you know, potentially reopening in January and people having to, um, find other means to to make money and to you know to just sort of make themselves relevant i guess what what are the next steps here for for broadway performers and actors and even people behind the scenes because i just feel like everybody right now is getting zoom fatigue a little bit you know it's it's amazing what everyone's doing but i mean how long can you keep up these zoom performances of you know the cast of you know company doing into the woods opening i don't know how long can we keep doing this for and and what do you think the next steps are for people until January, I guess? <laughs> yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. We're not, you know, we're not even sure. So right. it, it's going to be challenging for a lot of people. What I'm most worried about is the number of artists, the number actually of staff members on Broadway shows or in marketing companies that will right. not be able to stick around the Broadway industry and wait as other industries open up. Right? They'll need to make a living. They may have to jump and run. I'm, I'm, it's going to be very, very hard. Um, so, you know, yeah. look to pivot. Television and production, uh, film will start to uh, pick up before us. So hopefully some of the actors will be able to participate in that. Commercials, of course, will still, they're still happening. Things Maybe voiceovers from home. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, there will be opportunities as well. And people will have to reinvent themselves a little bit. Uh, and then hopefully we'll create new models in the future where we'll be able to provide people with income through streaming or other sources. Right. No, that's, that's a really good point. I saw Broadway.com was going to have a channel. And, and so again, I'm, I'm fully appreciative of what everyone is doing. I just keep thinking to myself, how long um, can this last for? But um, let's just talk about you for a second. So your first Broadway credit was 13. Um, Yes, I, I actually love that show. I love the music. I love, you know, JRB. But what, you know, that was only on Broadway for two to three months. And, and forgive me if this is sort of a cliche question in your career, but what did you, what did you take from that, from that show? And just what did you learn from and apply it to, to your other shows that have been so successful? So that was an interesting time as well. You talk about these moments in our history where things looked very dark. That 13 opened in the fall of 2008 right after the uh, yeah. financial crisis reared its ugly head. Uh, and the last thing that a family of four wanted to spend money on was a musical, uh, especially one that was unbranded. So what we found at that point was that people were still going to Broadway, 
but they weren't going to two or three shows like they would, they would go to one. And uh, Billy Elliot was playing across the street from us. So we found that if a family of four was going to go see a musical, they were going to go see Billy Elliot instead of 13. Uh, and this happens a lot. I mean, this is the challenge with unique and original material on Broadway. I produced a show last year, uh, two years ago now, called Getting the Band Back Together, Yeah. Um, which was a huge audience favorite. Mm -hmm. incredible reactions everybody loved it people saying to me it's going to be the next jersey boys like you wouldn't yeah. believe the audience reactions but at the end of the day when faced with pretty woman or mean girls yeah. or getting the band back together even if someone's been told we have a very cluttered environment so much competition even if someone's been told you should go see this brand new show they're going to make the decision based on the devil they know versus the one they don't. Because it's expensive, it takes time, it's all these things and people are risk adverse when it comes to Broadway. Right. So that's why I have such respect for shows like Dear Evan Hansen and Hamilton even, or Hadestown. Yeah. Fun Home, Awakening, which are like these shows that break through, uh, that's, that's a real challenge. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I do wish I could unsee Pretty Woman, though. I don't. Well, yeah, I'll never get that two hours back, unfortunately. Um, but but yeah. Anyway, I uh, I know I know you have to, but I don't have to. So, but no, two of my favorite productions um, ever are um, Once in a Silent, and which you know you brought back, which was oh my gosh, so incredible to me. And then the Godspell revival in 2012. I actually got engaged that night, and it was like so yeah. So I I know it's crazy. Yeah, well not I wasn't like on. I mean after my husband saw it, he was like oh I'm such an idiot. It, it's so immersive. I should have like I'm like yeah you you idiot like what the hell. But um no the whole experience for me was just incredible. And you know I make my daughter listen to Hunter Paris singing the um, beautiful city all the time because it just it brings me back but I guess you could also say that I love the circle in the square theater um and and I'm guessing that you do as well but um what just for me for for my knowledge what made those two shows so special for you well both of them they're they're similar in nature right both of them are ensemble driven it's really a small group of people telling a story and there's mm -hmm. you know they're obviously principal players if you will but really everyone participates in the story both i'm a big believer in immersive or somehow allowing the audience to participate mm -hmm. um, in the production both of those uh did just that um whether we were we had a godspell reunion on the live stream a couple of weeks ago I don't yeah. know <laughs> So good, yeah. But just thinking about the mosh pits or when we brought people up on stage and then mm -hmm. uh, similarly in Was of the Silent, how people wove, were weaved through the audience. And the animals, are you kidding? Like that was incredible. I was like, that's a goat. How do you get a goat on Broadway? It's just like, yeah, they both were just so magical. And I don't think you can ever beat Norm Lewis singing Rain. That to me, I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to like crawl up on stage and just be like, can you just go in the back of me and just sing it to me um, and nobody yeah. else? Not to be creepy. Um, but what is your favorite Broadway theater? Broadway theater? Yes. My favorite Broadway theater, well, it's interesting. Circle, I have a special place in my heart for that because it's so unique and different than all the other Broadway theaters. Sure. So 
the the Broadway theater that I love that I really would love to have a show in is probably a theater that I will never have a show in because it's the Richard Rogers where Hamilton was playing. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> great, great theater. Um, the other one actually that I recently was reminded of how great a theater it is because I'm not in it as often because mm -hmm. most people is the Majestic, where okay. Phantom of the Opera is. Ah. Uh. Big theater and also has raked seating like the Rogers, but people forget about it because Phantom has been there for 30 years. Forever. So you know, right. You don't think like, oh, that theater. But uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to, to work with Angela Weber's uh, company. And uh, so I'm in there a little more often lately. And yeah, it's a beauty. That's so, that, I love hearing that. I was curious about that. I was like, I wonder which theaters are his favorite. Um, just going back to Godspell really, really quick. You, um, for that one, you crowdfunded that one, um, I believe. And I don't think you ever did that again. If, if um, yeah. Yeah. So was that just too many hats in the in the ring there when you did that, or well, how did that work? I, you know, crowdfunding Godspell was the first ever crowdfunded Broadway musical ever. We did a very specific type of offering. You know, usually Broadway investors, $50,000, $25,000 is the like average. Okay. But often they can be, people can invest much more. And I wanted to do something different. Stephen Schwartz said to me, I asked him what Godspell was about. And he said, Godspell is about a community of people coming together. So I like to marry up my business model or my marketing initiatives with the artistic message. Mm -hmm. So I thought, what if I brought together the largest community of investors and producers ever? So we had over 700 investors in the show for as little as $1,000 at a time. Uh, and yeah, it was a very difficult logistical process. And um, I found it more fun. So it wasn't that there were too many. We used to do shareholder meetings. We used to do all sorts of stuff. Yeah. We bring everyone together. But I didn't right. do it to raise the money. I didn't raise a marketing army. Like I had 700 people out on the streets shouting about that show from their rooftops. Wow. So the short answer of why I haven't done it again, is one, it was a very arduous process and logistically challenging. Sure. And two, I just don't like to repeat myself. I like to do... <laughs> I like to do different things with my marketing initiatives and find what's unique right. about each show that I can do. So this is why you're a genius. This is actually, you explaining this to me is, this is, you know, this is why you've got a genius brain here and why you were so good at this. That I did not expect that answer. So I love it. <laughs> um, okay, last thing. If you just want to humor me, I'm just going to give you a couple choices. And then you have to just sort of pick one without thinking, okay? Okay. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so Stephen Schwartz or Stephen Sondheim? Schwartz. Godspell or Jesus Christ Superstar? Superstar. <laughs> Alfie Bo or Ramin Carmelou? Ramin. Ramin? Mm, Cheetah Rivera or Bibi Newrath? Bibi. <laughs> Okay, Smash on NBC or Bossy on FX? Bossy. Yeah, me too, me too. Um, Guys and Dolls or The Music Man? Guys and Dolls. Dear Evan Hansen or Hamilton? Hamilton. Les Mis or Phantom? Phantom. Uh, the last one, Tracy Letts or David Mamet? Oh, gosh. <laughs> that, that's the hardest of them all. I know, right? 
really I've had some very challenging moments with David Mamet. Like <laughs> I blogged about it. It was very difficult, but I yeah. I go with Mamet. Oh, okay. All right. I'm gonna go. I would go with Tracy, but I respect that. I respect that. <laughs> Well, Ken, thank you so much. This has been so informative and so fun for me. And I know that our listeners are, are going to really appreciate it and really love it. So yeah, thank you. Um, so that was Ken Davenport, um, everyone. Um, as a huge Broadway fan, I found our conversation so eye-opening and so interesting. And I hope you guys did as well. Um, if you like Ken, you should also subscribe to his podcast, The Producer's Perspective. It's great, and he just has some great guests on. So, okay, thanks for listening, guys. If you like this podcast, don't forget to rate and subscribe on Apple. It would mean so much to me. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Red Carpet Rendezvous. Until next time.